Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today's guest is a remarkable person called Esme Gummer. She's here to talk about what you do when life takes away everything you've taken for granted and how to use that moment to build a positive mindset. Over to you, Esme. I suppose by trade, I'm a personal trainer and fitness instructor, but then as my sort of personal training and fitness instructing career went on, I started realising that I was definitely different to how other uh, personal trainers were training their members, I suppose. And I started realising that I had a sort of different message and that I preferred to train people from a mindset point of view rather than a body goals uh, point of view. And it's been a message that I've been preaching over and over and over for, I'd say, the past, well, I'd say ever since I've been in fitness. A few years ago, you went in for a routine operation and it didn't quite go to plan. So what happened for our audience that might not know? So it was when I was, I'm 29 now, it was when I was 18. Um, I just turned 18. I grew up as a dancer. I was um, dance trained and I auditioned for dance college. And that was my dream. My goal was to be a dancer. And then about six weeks before I started dance college, I had a small hernia in my groin. So I decided I was going to get it fixed before I started my three years of dance college, which would have been very intense training. I went in to have a small hernia repair and unfortunately I reacted to either the anaesthetic or the anti-sickness drugs, which caused seizures, which then caused me to become paralysed. So I, when I first came round, it was a lot more severe. I had some speech problems and my memory was a bit all over the place and I couldn't really use my upper body much, but the biggest thing that came out of it was from waist down. I probably was quite naive to what was going on. And... The moment that I had it was um, because I'd turned 18 by a month, I was considered an adult. And had this had happened a month before, I would have been 17 on the children's ward. And I actually would have had 24-hour access to, like, my parents being there. But because I was 18, I wasn't... I, I didn't fall into that anymore. I was on the adult ward, so I actually was only allowed to have visitors and the last visitors had to leave by 9pm. So from 9pm all the way through to the next day most of the morning when the doctors would come around, I was on my own, but I was still, to me, I was still a a child. Um, I was still very much a teenager. 18, I don't think you're an adult. We like to think we are 18, but we're definitely not. So yeah, I spent about three weeks um, in hospital, just by the time they were able to let me get up and start using my, you know, using my legs again, they had to do some tests first to just check my spine and things like that before I was allowed to move. But once I was allowed to move, I was just put into intense rehabilitation to learn to walk again on parallel bars. From there, I left the hospital in a wheelchair and carried on my rehabilitation at home. And I did it through dance because they gathered that maybe dance would help for muscle memory and things like that. So I did that and... Yeah, it took, I'd say, the best part of a year to fully feel like I was comfortable to move again, I suppose. So I think that's where I had that moment where one night, it's probably the first time in my life I felt and understood anxiety. The sort of feeling of, like, doom. 
and where you feel like you can't breathe and you panic. And I think the worst part for me was I encourage people now when it when they have anxiety to move and get up and move around. And I couldn't. And I think that was the irony in it was I was experiencing anxiety and all I wanted to do was stand up and shake it off. And I couldn't shake it off. So for me, that was probably the night I really remember going, oh, my God, and that sort of sick feeling and feeling of doom of, oh, what if I don't walk again? When your world revolves around movement, you know, specifically yours, you know, like going into dance school, that's your life and your ability, like you just said, to crack out of the, you know, the feelings of anxiety or your usual coping mechanisms basically taken away from you before you go into rehabilitation, before those opportunities come your way and you've got experts, you're sat there with your mind and that's it. Do you remember, you know, what you actually did, what practices, how you calmed yourself down? Yeah, I do. And it's something that I now speak about and I still use now, 11 years on, some of the moments that I went through, I still use now. And I can honestly um, say, Dan, that it was probably the first moment in my life that I became friends with myself. And I'm so grateful for it because some people, it takes a lot longer. My biggest thing that I realised was that we spend a lot of our time and our problems passing them on to other people and asking for advice. Whether we ring our parent or we speak to a friend or we Google it, we never just want to sit and listen to ourselves. We have to have an answer and we have to give someone else responsibility so that we don't have to do it because if we give someone else responsibility one it alleviates the pain of going through it and two you can blame them I'm the first person I speak to every day honestly people I think my friends are used to it but anyone new in my life I walk past the mirror and just say you're right yeah are you yeah and it sounds so silly but I'm the first person to ask me if I'm okay every day And I'm the first person to check in if I'm not okay and say, well, what are we going to do? You know, I'll go in the mirror and say, you're right today. It might not even be in the mirror, it might be in the shower, it might be, you know, brush my teeth and say, you're right today. No, I'm not really feeling all right. All right, what are we going to do? That moment is something that I like learned to be like the inner child. And I actually did a TED talk about it. It was my first TED talk was about the, the inner child, which was, I believe that any sort of emotion like anxiety or fear or you know, sadness or anger inside us, frustration, things like that, is, is, is our inner child. And the way I found that was because when I was lying in this hospital bed and I, if we go back to that moment where I couldn't do anything about it, I was, I was paralysed, I had this anxiety and the, the feeling that I felt, I could only relate it to being a child when... I was laying in bed, I was about six years old, and I realised that moment, I think we all remember it, where you go, oh, my God, the world's going to end and I'm my, my parents are going to die and I'm going to die. They, you know, we don't live forever. And you, I, I don't know if you remember it, but I remember being... Yeah, I used to call it this, my Sunday feeling. Yeah, yeah. It would always happen on a Sunday. Yeah, and you'd lie in bed and you'd be young and you'd get this sick... The only way I could describe it is you'd feel sick. And that must have been anxiety. And again, it's what I explained that people still do that now as adults, right? And when I was laying in the hospital bed and I had this feeling, that's when I went, this isn't you. This is your younger self. This is your inner child panicking. And there's no one here. Your parents aren't here. So you've got two options. You can become the inner child and press the nurse button or ring your mum and try and get help. Or you can literally step out 
and nurse your inner child. And I made that decision then and there was, I said, I remember laying in the bed saying, Esme, we've got this, we're gonna be okay. Firstly, phenomenal um, personal growth. And I think there's a really interesting thing, you know, like you said, you know, there's experiences in my life that have helped develop me 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier sometimes than some of my friends because of the pain and horrible things you go through psychologically. And they're great wake up calls. They're just not pleasant to deal with at the time, but they have to be dealt with. You know, I'm super interested. We just had Jay Shetty on the podcast and he was talking about, you know, cultivating a positive mindset, but also the fact that we are geared towards negative self-talk. That is the way that we're wired. And it doesn't mean that it's the truth. Obviously, for some reason, there's this other you that hates you called your brain just talking crap to you the whole time. And the maturity, the emotional maturity and psychological experience to rise above it and say, you're not me, you're not my experience of me, you're other and treat yourself kinder. That's something that people become monks for to train to do, right? Or they learn so much later in life. What I'd love to know is at 18, what did you learn about how to have that conversation with yourself? The thing is about it is the negative Esme still is in there. You can't get rid of negativity. That's the first thing that I had to do was accept. I couldn't just get rid of being paralysed. It was part of my reality. The difference is, is if you let them consume you or if you learn from them. What I get quite a lot is um, people say to me, oh, it's all right for you because you're just a very positive person or it's, it's all right for you because you're just very confident. And the fact of the matter is, it's not all right for anyone and it's not all right for me everybody's got their own story and you know number one is accepting that it's there and number two is comparison is the biggest killer of joy and if I laid in that bed and compared myself to my friend who went off to dance college of course I'm going to feel horrendous but now if I look at my journey that I went on and where my friend went, you couldn't even compare us we've both just done a completely different things however we're both doing well at them I call it like yeah, the yeah but people. It's like how many times in a day and how many times have you today yeah butted? How many times have you said, yeah, but it's all right for them because they're just naturally really positive. Yeah, but it's all right for them because they've got rich parents so they've had a good upbringing. Yeah, but it's all right for them because they know the manager so they got promoted. Yeah, but it's all right for them because they're just naturally really slim. You've got to stop yeah butting because you don't know what anyone's been through. And had you not known my story, you could meet me and think she's so positive and happy and she's self-love and all of this. But then I go, oh, I actually was paralysed when I was 18. And immediately people go, oh, my God, wow. And they change their perception of me because I've had a backstory. But we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be yeah, but in anyone. And that's why I always say one thing that got me through that was there was no point me looking at what other people were doing that were far more far forward than me. Back then, the most important thing to me was dance college going to dance college and I didn't go and all my friends went and I dealt with a lot a lot of resentment and jealousy and I hated it I hated what it made me feel however I appreciate it so much now because I never want to resent anybody again exactly I said this um you know to someone the other day which is wanting more money wanting the next stage of your relationship or life or whatever it is if that's your attitude then when you get those things, you'll want the next thing anyway. It's literally like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like no one that is obsessing over the next thing is ever going to be happy with the next thing. Exactly. And 
I say this and I, you know, I like to think this, but I do think it is true. If I'd have come out of that hospital in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, I still think I would be saying what I'm saying right now because I had a transition moment in there because the end goal for me wasn't walking again. The end goal for me was accepting my reality and feeling happy about it. What would you say are your top three tips? If someone wanted to cultivate a positive mindset like you are, like an attitude towards, you know, confidence and looking at life on the sunny side, what would your top three tips you'd say to them be? The first one, actually, I think to being positive is to first be negative. When something bad happens, actually let it happen and get in a mood about it. Like cry, shout, scream, let it out. Because being positive doesn't mean that something bad happens and you smile about it. That's not positive. That's not strength. I always say you can let it ruin your lunch, but don't let it ruin your dinner. Tip number two would definitely be the comparison point. Do not compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 13. Comparison's biggest killer of joy. What if, to me, running a 5K was absolutely amazing? And I come home and I'm like, I run a 5K. And then my friend says, I run a 10K. Right? And I go, oh, well, that's rubbish. I only did five, I didn't do 10. But hang on a minute, my friend who run 10K has been running all of their life and actually their 10K, they've been trading up for it for absolutely ages. So to them, they're feeling the same amount of happiness for their 10K that I'm feeling for my 5K. But because I've compared the distance, my 5K goes boom. Meaning my self-worth goes boom. So don't compare yourself, just don't. Because it just ruins it. And I think thirdly, think about opportune moment all the time while while you're moving through life. And it's as simple as this. If I've got some good news to share right now, but Dan, you're in the middle of like maybe texting someone and, and I burst in and I'm like, guess what? This happened. Really naturally, the reaction I'm going to get is Dan's going to go, oh, cool, cool, and go back to what he was doing. And, and then I'm going to feel negative about that. And then I'm going to start overthinking it. I'm going to think, I'm not good and they don't care. But actually, it wasn't the right moment because I burst in on somebody else's time. Now, if I came in and I said, Dan, have you got a minute? And you said, hang on, let me just send this text. And I waited one minute, one minute of your life to then get the reaction of this happened. Oh my God, wow, let's talk about it. Good for you. I then am getting dopamine. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling empowered because I shared something that I feel good about with somebody who is giving me the same energy back. That's one very small example. But if you think about your day to day, how many times have you gone for that opportune moment that when it comes through, it's meant to come through then. So just be patient and trust that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from 1 to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week.